now listening to Bobby and Friends. Bobby and Friends. Bobby and Friends. Everybody, today I got on a good brother of mine, uh, Love Victor. Um, and we're going to be talking about sort of cryptocurrency and, and what's happening in the new uh, age of internet, I guess, if you could call it that. Um, and so, Love, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing well. How's Boston treating you? That's uh, pretty good. It's cold. Hey, man, it's cold up. <laughs> when I was back in D.C. You could come outside with a little hoodie, jog yeah. across campus. I'm going to the car and I got a jacket on, man. <laughs> cold over here. Hey, you it's might cold. have to invest in that Canada goose for for a quick minute. Right <laughs> <Not> real though. <laughs> yes, yeah, love. You know what? Thank you for coming on. It's your first time on Bobby and Friends. And I know we've been talking about doing something at some point. And, and finally... Uh, while we're on break, uh, we sort of have the time. And so sort of uh, appreciate you being on and just really excited for this conversation and where it's going to lead us. Um, and maybe the people who are listening will be able to get something out of it. Um, and so with that further ado, first of all, could you just introduce your, yourself a little bit about sort of, I know I already said your name, but you just, yeah, yeah. if you could just introduce yourself uh, and sort of where you're from and where did you grow up? Yeah. yeah thanks, Bobby. Um, so my name is Love Victor. Um for so I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, that's where I did all most of my schooling. However, I grew up a little bit. I, I grew up like my home and stuff outside of Boston uh, in um, Brockton, and um, currently just at kind of Georgetown University. I'm a senior uh, studying marketing and open. Open's just operations and information management system, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So first, we have to talk about you know your name. Uh, I remember the first <laughs> time I ever, I met you, <laughs> and I think. I don't know if it was DeJourn or somebody said your name. Like, oh, yeah, this is Love. And I remember I was like, yo, ain't no way this dude's name is Love. Like, I remember, like, literally looking at you very puzzled, like, wait, your name is actually Love? Like, is there a backstory with your parents, your dad, or anybody that's why they named you Love? Or there wasn't there, much thought to it? Yeah, there probably is. I never asked them. And everyone always asks me to ask them, but I always just never get around to it. Um my assumption is they just really loved me. I don't know. I was their third kid. So I think, and I was the last one. So I think they called it a day. Um, but no, yeah. I'm not really sure the meaning behind it. Um, but it was always so funny because when I was younger, I hated the name. Because, you know, when you're young, your name yeah. is love. It's like very weird. But now that I'm older, like, it's easy to start a conversation, like, just based off my name. And you know what? The more I keep thinking about it, I'm like, yo, it's crazy when I met you how I was just so uh, taken back by your name. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been roommates in college with a dude named James Bond. So I, I think it really <laughs> you're used to it at this point. Yeah, I think at this point I'm used to it. Um, and sort of you say you're majoring in open at, at Georgetown. Could you talk a little bit about sort of why you chose to major in that and, and sort of how that uh, ties into sort of some of your interests going forward? Yeah. Um, so when I first applied uh, to school in general, I kind of wanted to go to art school. Um, but then I had really good grades. So like, and I had scholarship and stuff. So it, it didn't really make sense to. So when I chose Georgetown, like, of course they have their business school, but they also have marketing. And to me, that seemed like the closest thing to like creativity. However, when I got into those marketing classes, it was really just like kind of like memorizations, keywords and all this stuff. It wasn't really like, you know, designing logos and all that stuff. They do teach it here and there, but it's not the main priority. It's more so the business of marketing. Um, so then I was like, all right, I need to figure out like another major, just do something else. And so that's where I stumbled upon OPM. So again, OPM just operations and information management systems. So really what we do in OPM is we handle um, Excel sheets, databases. Uh, we do some coding here and there. 
And that really sparked my interest just because it reminded me of math. However, there's the um, technology component to it. Right. So basically kind of, again, using Excel or like using different kind of coding languages where I can apply those math concepts to help solve a problem or solve an issue one might have. Got it. Um, and uh, so with that, could you talk a little bit about sort of because for the years that I've known you, there's always two things that you always talk about. And those are sneakers and finance. I mean, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing else loved more than those two things. Um, and so in keeping with today's discussion on cryptocurrency, could you talk a little bit about sort of what sparked your interest in finance um, to begin with? Yeah. So I think what sparked it is definitely the sneakers. So you can start there. <laughs> I don't know, just growing up, like you just want to be flying. So usually the way to do that is having sneakers and stuff. Um, so I was really always interested in the sneakers. And then, you know, as time went by, it became very popular, you know, every like items became hyped and you could, you know, buy shoes for 150. So for 250 mm-hmm. and so forth. And it became like a business. Um, but again, like the whole interest in clothing, fashion sneakers just started off just because like, I want to look fly. Um, but then there also became a point where like, I couldn't afford some of these, um, what's it called? Some of these products at retail. Mm-hmm. So I had to pay resale prices then. I couldn't always ask my moms and pops because they wasn't giving me money for their shoes like that. <laughs> you um, on your own on that. <laughs> yeah, you on your own on that, exactly. So then that's like my friends and I, we created our own clothing brand. And when we did that, I really fell in love with the process of like making a product and the business behind it. And it was so funny because when we got money like after the money we got we didn't invest it back in the company what we did is we just bought some more clothes and more sneakers and stuff and then we realized yo if we want more money we got to reinvest it back in but like in that moment i kind of realized the importance of understanding how to manage your money Mm -hmm. but then like seeing it in that experience it also helped me bridge that gap to my parents and other families because a lot of my friends their parents struggle everyone's tight on a dollar right and it's just like when your family's like that and all your friends families are like that you kind of just like that's all you see and that's all you know. So it's like, damn, why are we all like this? Um, so I always had that kind of just, you know, wondering, you know, how can we be better without money? How can we manage it and so forth? But it really, really didn't hit me until I got to Georgetown, um, just because I saw the lives of other people and how they think. I remember, I forgot, I think it was like a seminar class we have in the business school, but the professor was asking, like, if you had X amount of dollars, how would you invest it? And my initial thought, is I'll go buy some sneakers, hold them, and resell them. Yeah. But other students were talking about, you know, venture capital, hedge funds, all these words. And I didn't understand it. But like, kind of after going back, I was like, oh, damn, there's more to life than sneakers. Um, but also more ways to invest your money than just with sneakers. Mm. And from that moment, I was like, damn, all right, let me try to, like, actually read up on different books, blogs, YouTube channels, and so forth, and, like, educate myself on it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? That's so interesting um, of sort of how you grow up and and the people that you grew up around can have such a huge impact on your understanding of finance, but also your understanding of what investment within the financial field means. Uh, like for you, you attributed it with sort of, um, you know, uh, flipping snake sneakers and reselling them for, you know, um, in order to gain uh, some sort of profit from them. Uh, whereas, you know, obviously for s- students in your classes at Georgetown and business school, for them, they were thinking more of the, the normative, traditional way of yeah. investing uh, money within VCs and whatnot. And that is so interesting just just to have just heard about that. Um, but I think it talks a lot about how even things like generational wealth build up over time is that if you're not in an environment where 
how to maintain money, how to save and how to invest in a certain way. If that's not something you grew up around knowing, it's very difficult to pick up on sort of that behavior, but um, it's it's never too late, I guess, to learn more about finance. And um, I'm sure that even probably folks in your family probably like, yeah, we are probably learning a lot from love um, and sort of some of the things that he's learned. But sort of today we're talking about cryptocurrency. And before we get into that, um, there is a foundation of, of sort of a, a type of technology that allows cryptocurrency to um, actually operate in the first place, and that is blockchain technology. And so I wanted to ask you if you could describe in the simplest of terms, if you can, as to what blockchain technology for those who are listening. The simplest terms here, I could give like a brief example, I think that will be yeah. able to like explain the entire process because the simplest <laughs> terms you can say, but then people still end up with the, what did you say? Huh? Um, so yeah, um, I think, I think the best way when it comes to like cryptocurrency, especially it's just doing examples or like analogies. Um, so let's think, let's think of it. Let's say we're going to create our own cryptocurrency. Okay. We could call it Hoya coin, for example. Um, and so basically we as a community, we decide kind of the rules of the um, cryptocurrency. So our cryptocurrency is Hoya coin. And those rules are essentially like complex math problems that like mm-hmm. in order to solve, you receive a coin. Like whoever solves it, they receive a coin. And basically, again, those rules are math problems. And over time, those math problems, they become very complex exponentially. Mm-hmm. And so once one of those math problems are solved, then like the entire, this is the Hoya coin, the entire Georgetown community, basically it notifies that, hey, let's say that, for example, you, hey, Bobby solved um, this math problem. And then everyone can see it on this open ledger. And then when they see it on this open ledger, it's recorded. And then basically Bobby, which is you, you're recorded with um, a Hoya coin for solving the math and like adding value to the um, entire ecosystem. And then essentially you just repeat that process over and over. And so that process right there, that's called mining of the cryptocurrency. So before you even think about blockchain, you have to understand that in order for there to actually be currencies, for some currencies, you have to mine it. So for example, like Bitcoin, uh, there are a lot of people, computers globally solving these complex math problems, which mines the data and then it releases coins out. Okay. That's the first step. You have to understand the mining. And so kind of once you, once you kind of just have that, that's essentially just the structure of it. So now... Once we have coins available, now people can buy, sell, and trade, and so forth. Hmm. Um, let's, I don't know. So now after that, let's say you and I, we're, going, we're coming back from a party, and you want to pay me for the Uber ride in Hoya Coin. So you will, it doesn't matter, whatever app, whatever we're using, you would send me Hoya Coin, and everyone sees the amount of money or the amount of coins that you sent me. Okay. And they see it because you have a public like key that everyone can see. Because remember, hmm. this is an open ledger so that everyone can see what's going on to verify that you know these transactions are happening. And so again, they see your public, um, what's it called, your, your public key, but due to cryptography, they don't know that it's you. They just see like a random, think oh, of like 24 numbers, letters randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, a side note though, they can know it's you if they go all the way back and do a lot of work, but like, it's very, very difficult. But again, it's not like 100% impossible. Mm-hmm. And so then from there, as the community sees it, they either verify or disapprove the um, transaction that you sent me. Okay. And basically, the way they do that is basically by seeing like, hey, does Bobby have X amount of Hoya coins in his balance? And did Love receive 
those um, X amount of Hoya coins. And then, you know, whoever solves that math problem and is like, okay, Bobby did send them that, then they will receive a reward again, as mentioned, for solving the um, transaction, which is essentially just like a math problem. God. And so now, once you have the people mining it who are releasing these Hoya coins out, and then you have transactions being made, which is like just between other students in the Georgetown community, then you get into blockchain. So essentially, think of the blockchain kind of as the word. Think of it small blocks in a chain. And each block is a transaction. And those transactions are kind of like what you and I did. You gave me money for an Uber, or I'll give you money for going to Trader Joe's for me and so forth. Um, so that's the way to think of a blockchain. And so each block on that chain is essentially just a record of the transaction. And to get kind of a little bit, I guess, mathy or like technical, mm-hmm. when you when we, when we make a transaction, there's this thing called a hash. And basically okay. a hash is just like a math algorithm that's released. And people trying to solve it, that gives them a clue or some information in order to solve the problem. And based off that hash information and the transaction information, it helps them solve the problem and confirm the um, transaction. And again, once the community kind of approves of this transaction, then that block is added to this chain of blocks. And so what makes blockchain, uh, I guess, revolutionary technology is one that, remember, everyone can see what's going on. So there's no such thing as fraud or misinformation on that because in order to have your block on that chain everyone in the community has to approve like everyone in the georgetown community has to approve and if we wanted to change something mm-hmm. we have to convince the entire community that we made a mistake which really is unlikely because you have to have all of them first to approve of it um so yeah so again like it makes sure that the transactions become more secure mm-hmm. by relying on that hash um algorithm so if i invest in let's say a cryptocurrency like bitcoin what am i exactly doing if i'm not necessarily a part of the community or do you understand okay, the, yeah, the yeah, question yeah. i'm asking yeah, yeah perfect so bitcoin itself right hmm. the way when it was first conceived and founded the way you would get a bitcoin hmm. is simply by mining so like i'm saying you're solving oh, okay. these complex problems but since they're algorithms and they get difficult exponentially we know in due times it becomes like you need thousands of computers, servers, yeah. all that to solve it. Mm-hmm. So that's one way by mining. But like today, that's not very sustainable for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the other way that people basically get Bitcoin is, again, by exchanging it for goods and services or by just trading it online. So the way Bitcoin works in terms kind of going to your question in terms of value is when it was first conceived, there was a x amount of bitcoins like there's x amount of bitcoins that can ever be created Mm -hmm. due to the um math problem so when any cryptocurrency is created just there there are a set of rules that have to be followed it's kind of like the outline for the currency and when bitcoin was created one of the rules was that like based on the algorithm and number of math problems to solve Mm -hmm. there will only be 18 million 18 point something million uh bitcoin in circulation, I believe. Um, and then, no, sorry, sorry, I lied. The max, sorry, the maximum amount is 21 billion, but the current amount right now that's in circulation is 18.9 billion. So currently there's like, what's that? Uh, 
2.1 billion left in circulation. Mm-hmm. And so basically based on the demand and supply, like that's how it, the price of it fluctuates. So when you hear people saying, oh, I have Bitcoin, I'm investing in Bitcoin. What they're really doing basically is they're betting that the price of it will increase based on the demand and supply of the Bitcoin. Yes, some do use it as a currency or for products and goods and services as it was originally like supposed to be used as. But a lot of people are using it as like, uh, think about it as digital gold or as an asset because again, it has a capped supply. And when you think about social media, the news, everyone's hyping it up. So it has that high demand as well. So if I buy five today by investing in it, I'm assuming that maybe later on I can resell it for X amount more than I bought it for. So basically it's more of an yeah. investment. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because, yep, exactly. Because usually people aren't really doing transactions with it, like daily transactions. And a common reason for that is just because the fees for it are really high. Like it wouldn't make sense to go buy, I don't know, like a MacBook or an iPad with it. But for some who are doing large amounts, it's okay because the fees don't matter. Like as you've seen, some players have been getting contracts with Bitcoin. Right. Well, that's fine because remember, they're millionaires and the fees, <laughs> the fees don't mean much. It's but like a cent to them. Buying, yeah. yeah, it's very small. But if you buy a standard regular good, the fees are too high to even think about using the currency. Got it. And um so we already talked about sort of what cryptocurrency is and how blockchain ties into that, as well as sort of uh, Bitcoin, which is a type of cryptocurrency. And you also um, answered one of my questions about what mining is. And um, and so that helped, I guess. And I think right now, people who are listening probably have a much uh, better uh, nuanced idea of what cryptocurrency is and how it operates. Um, now, recently, there's sort of been a lot of conversations um sort of when people think about cryptocurrency and you think about blockchain, there's this idea of it being sort of decentralized and that um, sort of you're giving power to uh, sort of the the average guy, average Joe on the street, you know, who can use a laptop or you can use a computer, that you're sort of giving them more power. Um, and there was a recent article by the Washington, uh, by the Wall Street Journal uh, titled Bitcoin's 1% Controls Lion's Share of the Cryptocurrency's Wealth um, and this was an article by Paul uh, Vigna. Um, and they sort of talked about how basically the 0.01% Bitcoin holders controlled 20, 27% of, uh, them, of all of the uh, uh, sort of Bitcoins that are in circulation. Um, and this MIT uh, scholar uh, talked about how despite uh, sort of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency being around for about 14 years, and sort of the increased hype that it's gotten, it's still the case that it's a very concentrated uh, ecosystem. And so with that, I sort of wanted to understand um, sort of your understanding of the various cryptocurrencies are out there. Are most of them operating under a decentralized or centralized model? Um, And I don't know if if you're able to uh, extrapolate that in terms of your understanding of how various cryptocurrencies operate. But would you say that there is a lot of there's a lot more decentralized uh, operation and how they function, and then how you would think of how the dollar currently operates? Yeah, um, I would say a bit of both. Like obviously, again, I don't know like all these cryptocurrencies and how they work, but like I'm trying to think here. Like here, let's think. We can do. A, I'll do a couple examples. So like when reading that article too and looking into it, um, or even just the news in general, one thing that I realized is. When it comes to Bitcoin and talks about decentralization, when so Bitcoin itself, it was founded 
because I forgot the Satoshi's, I don't know, something. But whenever he found it, whenever he found it, whenever he found it and created it, what he wanted to fix was is have a digital token form of payment, dollar, whatever it is, but have it not basically deal with the double spend rule. So the double spend rule is like, I can send you $5 digitally, not $5, five tokens, and someone else five tokens. But there was no system to confirm that like I had the five tokens. Because someone could send you five tokens and I could send them five tokens. And it looks like I only send five tokens when really it's 10 tokens. And so Bitcoin itself, it was founded and created on the idea that, hey, we don't need banks as the middlemen. Instead, we as a community can rely on each other with our computers mining the crypto itself, approving of transactions on an open ledger, mm-hmm. and then that cuts out a middleman. If you think about it today, when you put money in the bank, they approve how much you have, and then if you're purchasing something, the bank has to verify it, then they take the okay. money out and so forth. And when you rely on a bank, yes, there's fees and other things associated with it, but more importantly, they have your information. And when hacks happen and so forth, you know, your data is exposed. So cryptocurrency, not cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin itself was founded on the idea that to be decentralized in regards to information i think like with the news a lot of times even media they it's kind of like that game of telephone everyone says something and the whole thing transforms mm-hmm. and the bitcoin's main like when you look at their white paper online like their objective was never to make wealth uh decentralized or have, yeah. everyone have their own money because it's impossible because like you know the more people who have more money or the ability to mine more with expensive computers and servers they right. will get more money but the goal of Bitcoin itself was to make sure that information is decentralized and we don't rely on um, a middleman. So like when it comes to Bitcoin, for example, I think the information and the process of how it's done is decentralized. Um, however, the people owning it and the amount of coins, yeah. that is very heavily decentralized and concentrated more so towards those um, who afford it. And which is really unfortunate because like if you want this to be a, coin to replace a dollar or to be used without banks everyone has to have access to it everyone has to have at least something in order for it to be used by everyone but again kind of it's been shifted more so to this digital gold and seen more as an asset um but that's just bitcoin itself there's another um ethereum ethereum coin which is uh solana and that's similar to and describe ethereum for the people listening okay so solana is similar to ethereum so let me explain Ethereum first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're throwing a lot of words. Out. Yeah, I'm sorry. So basically, right, we use Bitcoin like interchange, like, oh, it's a dollar, it's a currency, buy goods and services. Ethereum is something different. So the first thing to realize is that Ethereum is a um, digital application platform. And the way it's used, basically, it's like digital platforms that exist on a blockchain. Mm-hmm. So... The best way to think about this is let's think of highways, all right? Think of highways, like, you know, what we drive on. Think of that as Ethereum, the network of highways, the roads, everything, the infrastructure. Think of that as Ethereum, okay? Mm-hmm. And now the cars that drive on these roads, right, We that we use infrastructure, the cars that go from A to Z, whatever, that's known as um, distribution applications, and those exist okay. on Ethereum. So, again... Ethereum is the highway and each car is essentially an app within Ethereum. So Ethereum is just like the underlying software and then people can create their own apps, uh, video game, streaming platform, whatever it is. So the and app store of the cryptocurrency world. 
Perfect. Okay. That's even a better example. Um, there you go. And then when you hear people saying, I'm investing in Ethereum, what that means is they're buying Ether. Ether is the cryptocurrency to Ethereum. So now if you want to put your app on Ethereum, right? So let's say if those cars, if you want to put it on the highway, you got to put gas. So think of Ether, which is the currency for Ethereum, as like digital oil. Okay. You have to pay to be on the platform. So that's how the that's how ETH that's how Ether and Ethereum kind of exist within in, within uh, one another, and essentially an even simplified version of it. Just think of it as a like just a big ass virtual computer, man. Yeah. Like yeah. Ethereum basically has all these computers globally, and they're connected with one each other and making a server. And this server, which is on blockchain, is decentralized because it's open to everyone. And okay. once you post an app. You post whatever, no one could take it off. Because remember, it's in that blockchain, it's stuck, and it's open to everyone. And so one of the major benefits of this is, think about today. We're using, what, Zoom right here, and then, you know, our websites and so forth. All that usually runs on what? Amazon, Google, Oracle, Snowflake, those cloud servers. Mm -hmm. And so you're relying, again, here we go, on third parties. And they have access to your intellectual property, your information, all your data. But now with Ethereum, you can cancel them out because you have this one big virtual server that has all these computers from all over the world. And basically people can upload, like we said, website, app, video game, whatever they want to. And so um, that's how Ethereum works. And so when you hear people saying, oh, I'm buying um, Ethereum, what they're really buying is Ether. And they're buying into the idea that like, in due time, more apps will be on that platform. Because remember, when an app is added, they have to pay a fee. And usually, of course, you know, when more fees are being collected, the price of Ethereum rises. That's one indicator. Like, of course, you know, there's someone could say they're investing and it'll go up, but that's kind of one main indicator um, of Ethereum. And so kind of going back to your question about other cryptocurrencies on it being decentralized or centralized. So just like Ethereum, there's another cryptocurrency called Solana. And it's basically the same thing as Ethereum. The only main difference is that it focuses on DeFi applications. And so DeFi applications are essentially basically just financial applications on the blockchain. Okay. So one can be exchanging money, like exchanging uh, crypto, crypto coins or currency. Another one can be uh, focused on loans. It's just kind of like um, apps related to finance. But the important thing about that is even though it's on the blockchain and it's decentralized, mm -hmm. um, the company itself, it was founded and funded by venture capitalists. Got it. So again, going back to Bitcoin, it was created by one dude who took this initiative on his own. You know, he was very ethical, some may say, and then he really wanted to do it for it to be really decentralized. But now you have venture capitals who are using blockchain and making it seem decentralized but in reality, it's not the case. So when Bitcoin like first happened, the person who founded it, they had to mine coins themselves and then release it. But what Solana did is they had pre-mined coins that they gave to you know people who contributed to the project. Okay. So the, the best way to think about pre-mined coins is when a company's private, before they go public, people already have shares. Shares, right. Yeah. And once it goes public, then you and I, the common individual, can invest in those shares. Right. So that's what Solana did. They held some back. It's like, hey, you get this, this, this at the discount. And then when they kind of put their uh, coin up, 
that's kind of releasing like shares. That really incentivizes them, hey, let's keep pushing this, let's keep building traction with it um, to increase the price of it. So even though it is decentralized and it's on a blockchain, it's an open ledger and the information's there, you also have to think about the structure of the company, mm. how it was founded, what are the incentives behind right. it? Because that's kind of centralized because you have these VCs who have a lot of money and investments in it, and you're unsure if they really if they really are trying to better society or like if it hits who knows a thousand dollars, they pull their money out and then it drops drastically and so forth. Um, so yeah, so I mean, like those are two good examples. Yeah, so again. Just like, I guess to sum it up, it really depends on the cryptocurrency if it's decentralized or centralized. Mm-hmm. But it's also important when you are talking about to distinguish, like, are you talking about its purpose and the service it provides or whether you're talking about kind of the allocation of the token and right. the ownership of it. Got it. Well, I think that's interesting because uh, was it last week sort of Jack Dorsey was sort of uh, bringing up some I guess, ethical um, criticisms and considerations of sort of uh, Web3, which uh, from our conversation before we recorded, sort of it's it, Web3 is an overlaying our general term of sort of the next phase of the internet. Um, and, and sort of, I guess, where we're headed, um, where the internet, um, I guess, is going to be a little bit more decentralized um, and that you won't really have to rely so much on these various search engines uh, such as Google um, and Explore, whatever it may be, uh, but that it will be a little bit more decentralized by removing sort of um, the, the middleman or the uh, integral sort of uh, uh, middle uh, partners that you would need in order to uh, be able to search and operate through the Internet. And uh, sort of Jack Dorsey's uh, particular sort of criticism about Web3, and I think it, it talked, it relates to sort of what you were talking about, this idea that these various, I will call them networks, um, <laughs> I guess that's the best way I would call them, I will call them networks um, that are built on uh, sort of technology like blockchain, Um the idea that these different platforms or networks are funded, a lot of times are funded uh, by VCs and so sort of the ownership of these networks, even though the operation of it or the functioning of it may be uh, decentralized in comparison to the sort of internet that we currently operate on, the ownership of it, of these platforms and networks are still held in in, in the few sort of um, uh, financial institutions that currently um, have a lot of invested shares and the current uh, uh, internet uh, platforms that we already use. Um, and I guess sort of that is the biggest issue of sort of how the financial sector is always going to find um, an incentive to have a large stake in any new forms of, of sort of uh, uh, transactory modes that we discover on the internet um, and what that will mean on sort of the idea of decentralization on, on any of these platforms and what people are able to do and sort of the fees that are involved with the transactions that are taking place. Um, and so very interesting to see about that. Um, but sort of to move on, um, Cardi B, I know, out of all the people that you'll be <laughs> including in a conversation about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and whatnot, uh, I'm sure Cardi B is not the person who would come to mind. But nonetheless, um, about uh, about a few weeks ago, she uh, tweeted. She made a tweet saying, uh, "Do you think crypto is going to replace the dollar?" Um, and I wanted to get sort of your take on this. And before I get your take on it, uh, currently as we speak, uh, there's uh, the Alenta Council has this uh, uh, platform on their website uh, where they talk about sort of central bank digital currency or, or uh, known as CBDCs, um, which are basically 
virtual uh, money backed and issued by a central bank. Uh, and there are various countries around the world who um, have either launched uh, some sort of uh, central bank digital currency, uh, some who are piloting them, researching them. And there's currently uh, there's currently nine who've actually nine countries in the world who've actually launched um, a sort of uh, central bank issued uh, digital currency. Uh, the U.S. is researching. Uh, they're, they're sort of in the research phase, the U.S. Uh, Treasury, as well as uh, Janet Yellen, who is the uh, Secretary of the Treasury, and um, Jerome Powell, who's in charge of the Fed. Um, they sort of are, have uh, said that they're sort of they're researching sort of how that would work, sort of a, a, a digital do- U.S. dollar or mm-hmm. U.S. dollar currency. So there is some conversations about it and sort of how we would operate. But I did find Cardi B's tweet to be interesting, the idea of crypto <laughs> currency replacing the dollar. And I want to get your take on sort of, do you think that's ever going to happen? Um, or do you see a future where that would even uh, be plausible? Yeah. Um, in the future, yeah. But for now, no. Um, so the reason I say in the future, yes, is because this just made me thinking about just the future itself. Like, again, going to Web3 or even like Metaverse, all this stuff. Yeah. Like to us, this seems crazy. Like really crazy, like what like what the hell is this? But then you gotta think about like at the same time we were growing up, like our parents thought social media and Instagram and Snapchat and all that stuff was crazy. Exactly. Yeah. Um so I think there is a future for it just because like even a lot of young people are really interested in it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as they become older and as the older people die off, I think they'll really try to make a push and try to implement it. Um and again, it's digital. A lot of things are moving digital. The reason I say no for now. Um, for me personally, like to feel confident in it, replacing the dollar, I'm not even worried about the pricing or like the supply and all this other stuff and inflation. I think what makes me really say no, is just that people aren't educated on the technology and they don't know how to use it. And it's very difficult to implement within society because we all know how the dollar works. We all know you go to the banks and it's very easy and straightforward. And then also, they are kind of working on it now, but they still have a lot of, a lot of stuff to do. But like in regards to cryptocurrency, just regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, shoot, I think, I'm not sure if he was there, um, but I remember I thought I lost some cryptocurrency. I remember I, that. You remember? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I was, yeah, I was, I was stressed out. I, kind of, I was like, yo, I don't have my money. And I forgot my, uh, what's it called? My private key and all this stuff. It's, it's complex, but like that's coming from me a student educated about the topic and in college and, you know, I have this background for the average individual who's not educated, it's going to be difficult. Right. And, you know, if you lose some money, there's no 1-800 number to call. No. Nope. <laughs> you got hacked or it's somewhere on the blockchain and you're just not, or even in a locked wallet or something, and you're not going to find it. Um, so I think in order, you know, for it to like replace the dollar, I think, yes, people can educate themselves, but will also be helpful mm-hmm. is finding ways to improve just the, user design experience, the technology experience. Um, you got to figure out a way, like, not only how everyone can access the cryptocurrency information, but like, once they do, how do we make sure that it's easy for them to understand, you know, how do you regulate it um, and go from there? But then again, like, even regulating something, like, the whole point of it is so it can't be regulated right. by the government, the community yeah. of all the people <laughs> part of it. So it's like going back and forth. Um but, but I mean, that's why I mean, think that when Cardi B asked this question, she probably was thinking, is a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin going to take over, going to replace a dollar? Which I think the answer to that would be no, it yeah. would not replace a dollar. 
because like first of all the government is the fed the feds are not going to allow for any other form of currency to overtake the, the the currency that they themselves issue and back um and i think that this idea of how sort of they're now doing research to see if they can uh possibly create um a a, a virtual u.s dollar i think that is the interesting part and i think that there were probably will end up heading towards a, a world like that where the yeah. central banks are still going to want to have a centralized mode of currency they're not they're never going to want it to be decentralized because then there would be no point of the better of the feds. I mean, there'll be no yeah. point of a central bank. There'll be no point. There really be no point of a government. If you really, at least in the way in which we understand it, if they do not control currency, um, they would become pointless because now it would be in the hands of the private, uh, of the private sector. Um, and so, no, I don't think personally, I don't think it's going to replace it, but I think that we might be headed towards a virtual U.S dollar currency in, in the future. I think that's probably where we're going to be headed. Um, and I think it is interesting as to how sort of this idea of cryptocurrency was stalled, started on the foundations and, and the beliefs of decentralizing transactions. Um, and yet, we're, yet the government is probably going to find a way to centralize it, but also the private sector, the financial sector, um, is also in a way pushing towards a more centralized model because then some of their actions and how they're increasing the fees and, and sort of the, the financial incentive of owning a share of these different uh, crypto platform is probably going to push users to ask for more regulation over it. And so I just think it's interesting to sort of see where the convergence of that is going to, is going to head towards. Um, and I wanted to sort of, I didn't ask you this to begin with, but, how did you get into cryptocurrency to begin with, like in the first place? How did that even come about? I think, I don't remember when it was, but I, and I know sometimes during college, I remember like it, it became a thing because it went yeah. up to like 14,000, then 21,000, a couple thousand. I was like, I think our first year, but I never invested because then it dropped all the way. And I was like, yeah. oh, thank God I invest. <laughs> <laughs> then I went all the way back up and more. Hey, 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 love, love, hey, love said this is 2008. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, financial crisis. <laughs> he's like, he's in the hope prices are low right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they do with these coins. Um, uh, but then, like, I think what really catch my mind is, like, that people were making a lot of money off of it. Right. And again, not everyone is making a lot of money off cryptocurrency, but, like, at least those that invested in, like, Bitcoin or Ether, like, you know, in the early days, they made a shit ton. It's like, wow. Yeah. And I was just kind of interested in just the technology behind it, seeing how it's like implemented in society or like how it works. Because even itself, like blockchain, the technology itself, that's been around. Like Walmart, they use blockchain technology for their like um, goods. Mm. So for example, like if they're, if they're, they use blockchain for their fruit supply chain because they had some case where like it was, um, what is it? Salmonella. It was salmonella because mm. they didn't properly trace it. And with blockchain, you have Nestle, Tyson Foods, Dole, all of them together. It's an open ledger because that's what blockchain is. And they all verify like, hey, the mangoes were in Mexico. Now they're over here in Atlanta. They're coming up to Washington, D.C. and so forth. Um, so it's interesting that like technology like that, it seems revolutionary to us, but it's been around. But the fact that like they kind of flipped it and was like, hey, let's put it towards the financial sector. Um, but again, the main thing for me was seeing like, wow, a lot of people are making money off of this. I got to you know, look into it and and just like see just see what it is right and sort of what would be your advice to anybody who's thinking about possibly uh, investing in cryptocurrency or why they should think about investing in cryptocurrency yeah um i would say first 
just become financially literate. Don't even yeah. before you think about crypto, understand how to increase your income, save money, invest, use credit yeah. card, file tax. Like understand the basics first because crypto is like very, very new. And then you know, once you have a like a solid understanding of just the like the basics, the foundation, then branch into crypto and you know, just kind of try to understand it. Um again, when it comes to investing in anything, you have to be kind of understand that you could potentially lose everything that you do invest. Again, right. you could make educated guesses or like choose solid companies. Let's say if you're investing, you choose like Bitcoin or like Apple, those are strong companies and so forth and cryptocurrencies, but something can happen and you just never know. Um, but again, making sure you under or like understand cryptocurrency and how it, how it works. Like kind of, as we were talking today, Bitcoin is more so like liquid gold exchange and so mm. forth, but Ethereum is more so focused on the internet. And so each cryptocurrency is different. They're not always in exchange for value. Like they have different purposes that they serve mm. and making sure you understand those purposes and like what makes the price go up, what makes the price go down of it and um, so forth. But even if you don't have money, like just understanding cryptocurrency alone, that's an investment because you got right. thousands of companies interested in blockchain programmers or how it works or people mm. give advice in it. Um, so yeah, again, I mean, at the end of the day, like your money is your money, but like, mm. Invest in things you understand. And as long as you understand the potential outcomes and like will be financially okay, then that's fine. Um, and I think the last important thing too is when you're investing in things and you're trying to learn about it, do your own research and come to your own conclusion. Yeah. Like especially yeah. when I look into cryptocurrencies, there's a lot of good stuff. Oh, it'll do this, do that. But also look at the negatives. You got to like have some type of like leveled playing field because if you only look into things that are good about it, then you're not kind of really getting the full grasp of it because each cryptocurrency, they have their own problem. Like Bitcoin's really good, high price, but the fees are crazy. And that's why it's very hard to replace the dollar or use on a daily basis because of those fees. So you got to just be kind of aware of that today. Make sure you do your own research and essentially just come to your own conclusion. No, definitely. Uh, and Sarah, thank you for this conversation. Um, I definitely took something out of it. Uh, when, you're, when you're talking about sort of... Uh, what is it called? Ethereum? Ethereum? Yeah. Uh, and all these other various applications um, and various platforms within cryptocurrency I definitely was not as familiar familiar with. And so hopefully the listeners were able to gain some knowledge from that as well. But sort of to close this off, I wanted to ask you like a few questions about Boston, or the questionnaires. So it's like, you know, you, you, do right. need, you do need to use your brain power a little bit or if you remember yeah. anything. You know? uh, I have about three questions specifically about Boston. Um, and uh, let's see if you will know the answers to it. Um, and so the first question I'm going to start with, this is like Jeopardy, okay? Um, oh, shit, it's Jeopardy? Yeah, it's like Jeopardy, man. It's like what it is. I mean, uh, originally called blank for the three hills in the area, the Puritans later changed the settlement's name to Boston after the town in Lincolnshire, England, from which many Puritans originated. So what did Boston used to be called before it was named Boston? Is it like a current? Is it a current city or town name? Here's I will tell you I've never heard of this name before. <laughs> Let's start with T. I ain't gonna lie to you. I don't know. You already <laughs> that on the first question. What's it called? Tremontaine. Tremontaine. Yeah. They didn't teach that in class. All they talk about was Boston. <laughs> Only the Puritans is how you learned about. <laughs> what was it? Tremont Tremontaine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yep. 
And so, and this one, you should at least know some, you will at least know something about this. Um, when the 1773 Tea Act levied taxes on imported tea, the Sons of Liberty staged the Boston Tea Party dumping some blank tons of tea into Boston Harbor. So what were the, uh, what was the, the number, the amount of tons of tea that they uh, dumped into the Boston Harbor? I can give you a clue. Do you want me to give you like uh, some options? I'll give you some they options. They were dumping tea from the, um, the British India uh, company, right? Yeah, but like how uh, how many tons oh, of tea? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you I'll give you a clue. Okay, I'll give you some options. All right. Yeah, I ain't hold up. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you some options. All right. Okay, okay, right. Ten tons, forty-five tons. Okay. Twenty-five tons or thirty-five tons. Ten tons too small. Mm-hmm. You said so twenty-five. Mm-hmm. You said what? 45 and 35. All right, let's go with 45. You're correct. Oh, shit. Okay. Hey. Okay. I'm going to go mad this show. I'm going to be the first person with nothing in this jeopardy game. Hey, hey, hey. The next day, you could have walked out in Boston. <laughs> you know that ain't dumb 45 tons? That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. I knew it was a lot, though. That's why I was like, let me just go with the highest one. <laughs> so you paid it. You pay some attention in school. So you paid attention. Tons. Well, you're a big fan of Tom Brady, right? Okay, okay, okay. This, there we go. Yeah, yeah, right. and the New England Patriots and all that stuff. So you should know a little something about Tom okay. Brady and his history okay, with go. the New England Let's Patriots. See. So Tom Brady was drafted by the New England Patriots in the blank round of the 2000 NFL Draft. Sixth. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, you knew that one. Hey man, you knew that for sure. Uh, hey man, you did. Hey <laughs> man, you did a pretty good job. Um, and I mean, you know how much love I have for you. Love, appreciate it, appreciate, uh, appreciate it. And just always learning so much from you in regards to finance, but just about life. Like you're a person whom, for sure, like you know, I can talk to if I need some guidance or anything, and vice versa. Like very much so uh, family in, in a lot of ways and appreciate you and glad to have known you all these years uh, that we've been yeah, at school and appreciate you for coming on to Bobby and Friend. Thank you so much for having listened to this conversation that I had with my brother Love. I hope you enjoyed it and that you took something out of it. Um, and I also want to thank you for having been a supporter and a listener of this podcast for this past year. It has been a wonderful journey for me. Um, and although the year has been difficult in a lot of ways, I don't want to dismiss that. Um, me personally, and, and maybe for you, but I know for society and the world and the country, um, there's a lot that I've learned. And I think for me, it's been a year of growth, a year of growing into myself and who I truly am, of accepting um, sort of the goals and dreams that I have, even if they were not the goals and dreams that I thought that I would have at the end of my um, time here at Georgetown and in college. And you all have been a huge part of my journey this year. Um, I continue to make the various episodes, content, interviews, and conversations because I, I know that you all value them. I'm just happy that you have found some level of importance or value in whatever conversations that are had on this podcast. And I hope that this year ends on a high note for you and that you begin the new year on an even much better footing than you started or ended 2021. So thank you so much for being a continued 
supporter and listener of Bobby and Friends.